are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Reggie Hammond, and I'm excited to bring you another episode of the Finding Your Forte podcast. Man, have we got a great guest for you today. I was fortunate to be able to facilitate work with uh, PACT, which is an Atlanta initiative focused on promising all Atlanta children thrive, which really for many of us is on our hearts and minds that that um, is, a, is, is a mission for an organization to focus on. And they have a powerhouse executive director who I am excited to have our conversation today. I've got a chance to meet her through this work. And now we are uh, long forever friends and we will likely be always in circles together. I wanna introduce you to Brittany Collins. Hello, Brittany. Hello, how are you? I'm so, I'm great now that I got you in this conversation. Y'all trying to schedule Brittany is like trying to schedule Michelle Obama. <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. <laughs> but she is, she is really killing it. She's doing some amazing work um, within her initiative that, and I will probably not do it justice to talk about the work that she does within the greater years construct. Um, but just trust me that in the space of early childhood education, you will take comfort in knowing that she and her team are at the wheel, making sure that um, the early development in children is done in an equitable way that all children thrive um, and, they, and that they have the right partners contributing their services uh, to be able to build a home child. So Brittany, I would really love it if we could start this conversation really with just an introduction to you. Um, mm. I'd love to kind of, you know, take a little bit of a bird's eye tour through your career and, you know, how you came to this work. You know, just, just you know, pre pretend I don't know these things. Yes, yes. <laughs> talk a little bit about yourself. So who's Brittany? So Brittany is... Now, I'm not an Atlanta native, but I've been, I've been here for a minute. I'm, I'm easing up on 15 years, so. But I came to Atlanta um, eager, bright-eyed as a freshman in Spelman, so moved down when I was 17 years old, um, had a wonderful time. Why wouldn't I? This is Spelman College we're talking about, right? <laughs> absolutely right about that. I got a chance to see Spelman from the inside when the, with a firm that I used to work with, I did a lot of the recruiting there. Mm -hmm. And so it was really just as HBCU recruiting was just starting to really catch on with big firms. 
And yeah. I always said, no matter who asked me, the best recruits I see come from Scotland all day, every day. It's not even, it's not even close to be honest with you. So, well, well so thank I'm you, Reggie. <laughs> um, I absolutely love my experience. Um, but, you know, during my time at Spelman, our work is steeped in service. Um, you know, we, we leave the pearly gates and, and you go out and make the world better, but you do that through the view of, you know, how can I leave this earth better than I found it? And during my time at Spelman, initially when I entered, my goal was to be an attorney. So I interned at Birth Law Group, which is on the west side of Atlanta. It's a Black-owned firm. Most of his interns were from Spelman or Morehouse. I did that for about two years. Um, however, senior year, I met this eager recruit for uh, Teach for America. And in 24 hours, I decided, you know, I don't think I want to be a lawyer. I want to improve the lives of young children. Uh, and I think I want to be a teacher. And that's really steeped in my own experience and background. Um, I come from a really small city, but the educators, the nonprofits really wrap their hands around me to make college a reality, right? I'm an upward bound kid. Um, my superintendent was incredibly hands-on to ensure that Spelman could be a reality for me and filled in the gaps when my family could not. Um, and really taking that orientation to say, okay, what now? I'm, I'm 21. What can I do? I decided to join Teach for America, and I was very intentional about which school I wanted to teach in. I wanted to teach in APS, and I wanted to teach in a school that was near Spelman. Um, okay. and I actually was lucky it happened. So I taught at Connolly Elementary School, which is now Tag Academy on the west side of Atlanta. And I taught for about five years. However, in my five years, I realized I had the most brilliant students in the world, but they were up against some of the really harsh realities, right? Um, and I said, it was year four when I said, how can I impact students outside of the four walls? That led me to researching about affordable housing and transiency rates and food and, you know, other support services. So I then stumbled upon an organization called Purpose Built Communities and entered the world of holistic community development, but really bringing in the lens of the role that education can play on place. So what's the intersection between the life of a young child and the experiences that they're exposed to positive and you know, trauma experiences and what does it look like to work alongside community to make this a place filled with opportunity. Uh, so, you know, after my time at Purpose Built, I, I, I'm a mom. I have three little children and that is a fabulous work, but it requires you to be on the road. And I wanted to come home. So during my time at Purpose Built, most of my clients were out of Atlanta, um, so I was traveling, I could tell you community members in, you know, Cleveland or Indianapolis or Orlando, um, but I, I was in and out of Atlanta. So I decided, one, I wanted to be home with my family. My children were getting older, you know, I had an infant, and we, at the time, wanted to have another. I needed something that's here, but I wanted to ensure that I'm making an impact. It's like, what? What are the problems we're hearing? And we, we heard a lot about Atlanta, but this is such a beautiful city with just a phenomenal history, um, but we also have some work to do. And I was at an organization and I remember getting a phone call from a friend. She's like, Britt, there's this group or some initiative. I don't even know what it is, but apparently they're thinking about making sure, you know, 
cross-sector partners are focusing solely on early learning in Atlanta. It's like, I don't, I, I heard of GEARS, but I was like, what is this PACT initiative? So after digging and doing research, um, and of course, already doing about the wonderful work that GEARS did at a state level, I realized that a bunch of, you know, leaders, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, former Superintendent Maria Christarfin, school board members, city council members, nonprofit leaders, funders, were all meeting to say, we all have a role to play. And it's wonderful that we have universal pre-K. It's wonderful that we have other organizations working in the K-12 space. But what about our youngest infants and toddlers um, in the city of Atlanta? How are we supporting young children? And how are we supporting the families that care for those young children? Um, and realizing there was a lack of coordinated efforts in the early learning space. Again, great work happening but lack of a coordinated effort, um, GEARS really raised their hand to lead um, the PACT initiative, which are eight recommendations that these leaders developed uh, over six months of meeting. And, you know, I raised my hand. In fact, I interviewed for this role when I was 38 weeks pregnant. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and I raised my hand. So I've been on board leading the PACT work um, on the GEARS team since December 2019, right before pandemic. Now, that is a really powerful and compelling story and probably very well appreciated in the space of people that know how important early childhood education is. Mm-hmm. Stop for a minute and talk to those, to the people that don't know how important it is. And I would love, I would, I'm chomping at the bit to do it myself, but I'm so sure I wouldn't do it justice. And, mm-hmm. and but every time I'm in this conversation, my awareness is heightened even further about mm-hmm. how absolutely critical those early years are. So can you yeah. share, um, could, you know, en- enlighten me and our um, yes. listeners a bit uh, around the criticality of those years? Yeah. So, I mean, Reggie, truth be told, I, I go back further and say prenatal, right? When women are carrying these these beautiful bundles of joy that everyone is eager to meet, babies are learning in utero. And, you know, when babies are born, it's so important that they have exposure to nurturing environments. Nurturing environments mean language, talking to them. You know, we're, we're basically building their brain, right? And everyone jokes like, oh, kids are sponges. They say everything. It's a joke, but it's actually really true. Um, the more you talk to them, make connections, um, even when they aren't saying anything back, they're just looking at you behind those beautiful eyes you are giving them, as some of our friends would say, language nutrition, or even hugging them, right? Um, You know, that is shown to help with their nervous system, giving them love, talking to them. And it's so important, and it's critical, Reggie. And, you know, as I'm thinking about the importance of early, early years, I'm speaking on brain development. However, we also have to think about the people that are caring for them, right? Um, Myself, I'm a mother, I have a a 12-year-old, but also have a three-year-old and one-year-old. So what's equally important is when we think about early learning, we also have to think about their caregivers. And for me, flexible working hours is important. Um, Paid family leave is important. So I can, one, continue to have a provide stable home. However, I'm also home to, you know, build those connections with my child and get to know each other. We don't know each other yet. So we're trying to figure each other out, right? Um, So as we're thinking about early learning, 
yes, brain development and building a strong academic foundation for a young child, making sure that they are on a path to health, because if we're thinking about health when we get to the doctor, we're, we're a little behind, right? Um, so we have to think about all of those things. But also, I think it's equally important to support the adult in the life that cares for that child as well. That's so, uh, thank you for that. I mean, yeah. as, as much of it that I you know, intuitively knew, it was really helpful to hear you not only share, but connect it to your own experience. And mm -hmm. so that leads us to, you know, the mission and the purpose that PAC has stepped up to recognizing all of those things in the ecosystem. Remember that word? Yes, <laughs> I do. Yes, I do. As, um, as, as you have convened a group of really uh, like on purpose implementation partners. And, you know, I, I personally am honored and humbled to be able to have played a role in having them come together on a common agenda, um, you know, lever leveraging the power of the collective impact model um, and, you know, kind of get everyone on the same accord so that you all not only um, realize the impact outcomes and benefits of your individual missions, but that you pursue your mutual missions and, and, and incur the synergies of them. So that, that, was, that for me was really inspiring work. And I will always hold on to the opportunity to have done that. So, you know, kudos to you all and that work and that you've taken it on. Um, but it would be great if you could just kind of give me an update on, you know, how that initiative is going and how, you know, shout out to the implementation partners that might listen yes. to this episode. I miss you guys. We had great <laughs> sessions um, and I've heard, you know, great things. But Brittany, give me a give me a quick update. Yeah. So just, you know, for your listeners, so the, we have PAC and the PAC Collaborative really is a partnership of nonprofits, government agencies and other organizations that share a vision of improving outcomes for young children ages birth to five in the city of Atlanta. And, you know, one, when we think about this problem, right, when we think about equity in Atlanta, the reality is that children live very different lives based on their race, based on their income, their background, their zip code, right? That is no secret. We all know that. Um, but the unique barriers and challenges that the zero to five population face are unique and, and they are complex. And, you know, you helped us with this, Reggie, but one of our beliefs is, yes, all these organizations are great that do wonderful work. However, when we look at the complexity of the issue we're trying to solve, one organization cannot do it alone. And that, you know, we ground ourselves in that. We're all doing great work. However, we cannot do it alone, alone and no longer can we work in silos. So really the work was to say, we have this report and, you know, I, I always joke, we have lots of reports in Atlanta, but what does this report mean in practice? <laughs> what, what do these words mean after the excitement is over and it's really time to roll our sleeves up and do the work? Um, what I've also seen from my work convening groups is you can have lots of people like excited about a good idea, like, yeah, we want to do this equity, you know, reduce disparities. But when you leave that room, what are we actually doing? What are you doing? <laughs> um, how are you thinking about leveraging the unique 
you know, secret sauce of your organization to move this forward. So as I think about the partners collaborative, it's one, realizing none of us can solve this problem alone. And two, um, how can you do your work differently? You're doing great work, but what does it look like to say, this is the unique role or this is the unique expertise I have? How can we leverage and double down our efforts in X neighborhood where we know um, has a high population of children in poverty. That means you may have to reorient your staff. <laughs> that means you may have to say no to say yes. Um, and it really is thinking about bringing our partners together. One, have an alignment on what are we trying to do at a city level? And then second, what are you uniquely positioned to do to help us move this forward. And I remember one of our partners in a meeting, you will too, when we had that session and you said, how are you feeling? And she said, whew, relieved because this is not on my shoulder alone. <laughs> remember? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's what's beautiful about it. It's, it's having a room, it's looking at the data, it's actually understanding this is what's happening in our city. And let's point fingers anymore, but let's move in a strategic manner to say, what are we uniquely um, positioned to do to advance um, our work? And more importantly, to ensure that every child in Atlanta has access to a bright start. And if you talk to me on and on and on, and you say, what's the headline for PAC? We want to make Atlanta the best city to raise a child for any child. Wow. That's so child. Yeah. Um, if you are in Texas and you're debating and you look up, you say, man, those businesses in Atlanta really have family friendly policies. Wow. Atlanta stepping up and filling in the gap. They have an abundance of high quality early care and learning in all neighborhoods and, you know, provide parents with the financial resources to actually access those high quality early learning programs or you know, maybe it's a learning space if you have a nanny. So we want a plethora of options for young children. We want them accessible. Um, and we want families engaged in the decision-making process as we roll out these programs and policies to ensure that it's actually relevant and it addresses the problems or barriers they may be facing. That's and my, so cool. You know, I can talk on and on and on and yeah, on. No, of course you can. I mean, there's so much. <laughs> There's so much fuel behind what you're doing and there's such a calling for it. So, and I'm sure anyone listening uh, can get excited about the impact of that, not only on those children, but on the, on the city and the state and really the world needs more of that. So, mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of ways, hopefully you all are building a model that other, well, other, organiz other geographies will look at and emulate and, you know, share best practices because you know mm -hmm. we, we certainly did that when we were doing our work i think i just one of the things i think is really fascinating about not only pack but the timing of them bringing you on and then covid and then the uh, and, and, then, <laughs> and, and then this forming of this you know kind of pact of um we use pact probably too much right because in this case i mean <laughs> partners yeah you know talk about that for a minute because in a lot of ways I mean going through it was really rough because mm -hmm. the whole landscape of not just early education but education in general was so hugely impacted you know with a pandemic absolutely but because you as you and your implementation partners were 
you know, kind of in the change management continuum were still forming right before norming mm -hmm. and performing, then you had an opportunity to be tested in the early going, right? And oh, then yeah. establish, you know, it's, there's nothing that shows character like some tests and some challenges. <laughs> and you already knew the landscape of what people brought to the table and how they operate when you decided to formalize, you know, this um, this convening of implementation partners. So mm -hmm. kudos for navigating that. Glad, hopefully now, we're both glad that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, I can see it. After the 4th of July, <laughs> we can start playing again. So hopefully yeah. in the fall, you know, things will begin to get back to more ideal for early education. Mm -hmm. You know, but just in terms of going through that, you know, that trajectory, kind of talk about how you were able to navigate that and, you know, what worked well and what may, you know, and, and, and what was a challenge. Yeah. Um, I know I, there were both, you know, there was. Oh, my gosh. There were, it, you know, I was really. So, Reggie, when I think about my first 90 days on the on the job, in my head, I was going to spend that, you know, on the west side of Atlanta or speaking to leaders in Washington cluster or Douglas cluster, getting to know families, getting to know those grassroots community leaders or nonprofits to learn, right? Again, we had a report, but that's high level. What does it actually look like in practice? You, you need to ask. You can't just show up and say, hey, I have the solution. Um, and for me, it is a personal and core value that um, I work alongside people. I may come with this quote unquote expertise or I, you know, I studied early childhood education. However, I don't know what that looks like for a parent on the West side that lives on Vine Street because I'm not that person. But what I do do is bring an unrelenting respect um, and, and listen, that's like, that's what I love to do. Uh, let, let me listen, let me understand ask questions, follow up, challenge each other, right? Um, but COVID happened three months into the role uh, with the six-month-old six at home. So it was challenging on both fronts. It's like balancing family life, um, a middle schooler who's frustrated, a newborn and a toddler alongside saying, you have this incredible mission <laughs> that you're tasked with leading. And right now we're stuck in your industry is being ravaged, right? Um, right. What most people don't understand is the childcare infrastructure is very different from, let's say, a district. Um, these are small business owners, often women of color, um, working, and they are not rolling in cash. Um, they are doing the best that they can with the resources that are available. So we saw really quickly on that parents said, I'm not sending my child to childcare. Um, child care in Georgia actually never closed. So some providers decided to stay open, some closed. But how, when you're not getting revenue from parents that are paying child care and parents are losing their job or their businesses, I mean, it, it was a lot. It, people would call and say, like, what's the data say? I'm like, honestly, at this point, I don't even know what data I'm looking at. Things were moving so quickly. Um, but here's what we did have. We had a vision and our vision was, during the pandemic, after the pandemic, in five years, we want young children in Atlanta to have access to high quality early learning environments. And that became even more critical as we think about the mental, um, social, emotional trauma that children have inflicted just from being in the house, right? So the good thing is 
the landscape changed. We didn't know if the strategies made sense anymore. We couldn't get to community. I mean, everyone was really stuck in their house. We had a vision and we had a commitment for young children. So over time, we, because our partners were already working together before this happened, you know, we were able to seize opportunities such as early in the pandemic, before federal funding, federal or state funding came down, and we realized that childcare providers were not able to access small business loans, like many small business owners. Just like um, I don't even know how to navigate this process. We um, we created a fund alongside our partners to give away stabilization grants. Um, mm-hmm. Moment, we're like, let's see if we can deploy this funding to ensure childcare providers can continue to pay their staff, pay their rent, keep their doors open as we're trying to figure it out. Um, thank goodness, you know, money came down from the state. So they had additional resources to supplement them. But we were thinking, what are some really smart decisions we can make to support families and childcare providers? We created an emergency childcare fund in partnership with APS to support their families that had young children. So, you know, we rallied around some of the critical needs. Um, however, we still have a ways to go, Reggie. There's still lots of listening that we need to do. There's still lots of learning um, to truly understand the impact of the pandemic to truly understand what are the behaviors and desires of parents at the moment, have those shifted. Um, So, you know, we've been able to do some great work, um, but you know me, I'm always like, and what's next, right? (laughs) What's next? What do we need to do now? Well, it's great that you, um, that is your thinking, because that's exactly where I was going to ask you to kind of wrap our conversation up. So having navigated to there, and now you've got this light at the end of the tunnel, and you're able to begin to think about a post-pandemic, you know, pack. Mm-hmm. What, tell me about some of the things, like the some some of the visions on the horizon yeah. that you're really excited about, that you're really looking forward to, that you're leaning into, and you know, you know, got the you know the the, the team all ready to kind of run through that brick wall together. Yeah. So a couple things. One, I'll I'll give a continuation from the partner work that you led. You, you, you gave us high level vision. This is what, these are the roles, responsibilities of the partner. Now we've actually met with each partner and we're planning three to six month sprints. Understanding when you do collective impact work is great to have a shared vision, but we also have to realize that our partners' organizational budgets or infrastructure may have been impacted from COVID. So I've been meeting right. each partner to say, you know, what are, what are the three, top two to three things you're going to do in the next three to six month sprints that moves us toward our shared objectives and goals, right? If anyone's, you know, one year strategic planning, good luck. We're doing sprints. So that's one thing. That's our internal work. Um, Second, what I'm super excited about is this summer, we are launching an advocacy and awareness campaign, all focused on early learning, early childhood education. So the goal I don't care where you are, if you're at, you know, if you're at a op- local office building, if you're driving on the highway, you will see PAC logo and really some, you know, statistics on what early learning looks like in Atlanta. So what's, our acts, you know, what is our supply and demand? What are the realities for working families? And it's also a vehicle to listen to families. So we're really excited about launching that. Uh, this summer to really um, 
bring PAC out to the world. Uh, some people know about PAC, some don't because we're still new, um, but we're really excited to launch this citywide advocacy and awareness campaign to ensure that early learning is inserted in the conversation because early learning is connected to housing. We need housing for the little people. It's food and nutrition. It's connected to transportation. Can families access early learning? Or you know, So we're really excited about being a bit more bold um, and celebrating the great resources and supports that families have, but also naming explicitly equity gaps in Atlanta to draw more attention because the reality is childcare providers can't do this alone, families can't do this alone. The business community has a role to play. Local government has a role to play. Families have a role to play. And we want to make it crystal clear um, one, the issue that we're trying to solve, but more importantly, what are what is each person uniquely positioned to do to support and advance early learning for their young child and all children in Atlanta? Oh my God, that's so exciting! And, and I'm, you know, I'm excited for you, but I'm excited for the the city, the communities that we live in, the families that are impacted for yeah. what is, you know, now and what is to come. What a great conversation. Thank you so much, Brittany, for carving out a, sli- a small yeah. slice of your calendar. Um, I would do it all day, Reggie. You're, you are amazing. I, I, you, I, I joke you, but I know that you, uh, this, this, this stuff is, is in your bones and, you know, you're eager to talk about it and build awareness and advocate for it, you know, yeah. in your sleep. So thank you so much <laughs> for carving out time for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it. It's definitely one of my favorite conversations in this series. And to our listeners, I would encourage you to enjoy listening to the Finding Your Forte podcast. At, it's on uptomeradio.com. So UP, the number two, radio.com. And in, once you're there, you can go to my channel, which is the Finding Your Forte channel. And it's also a show. And then you can you can subscribe to make sure that you get updates and you know any free gifts and sponsor promotions and 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 more. So I I very much strongly encourage you to do that. And then also stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram at Up to Me Radio. Uh, also, other podcasts on the station can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Up To Me Radio. So thank you so much for this conversation, Brittany. And to our listeners, as always, I I encourage you to find your forte, compose your masterpiece, and play your crescendo. Have an amazing day.
Kiss the sun. 